Hello and welcome to the Build-A-Bard Workshop. My name is Stephen. And my name is Simon. We're not experts, but we're here to take you through building a character in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. We have a list of rules that we work from when building a character which are as follows. We each build a level 5 character using a random race, class and subclass and see what we come up with. The goal is not necessarily to build the most efficient character, but to build an interesting one. We use standard array, standard racial bonuses, and characters start with 100 gold and an uncommon or rare magic item. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Alright, let me just check. Is the, oh, yeah, that's recording. We're recording. With that's, okay. Yep. Good afternoon, everybody. Today we're here to discuss a Githyanki Battlesmith Artificer. Before we get into anything, I always ask, how did you find this build? I had trouble with it because I wanted to make something that we've mentioned before on the show. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do a build that we've alluded to, mm. which is the offhand hand crossbow. But I'm sure we'll probably discuss with the way Battlesmith particularly works. Mm. It's not a great idea to do that <laughs> for this build. So first, I think I was a little bit salty that I couldn't do that. And then I've worked it way around to a character that I quite like now. And also something that I think we should probably talk about at some point, which is firearms. Yes. So if we do rollies, okay. who's going first? Should I roll first? Yeah. Should we roll? See who rolls first. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I think you're all right. 19. Okay. So I'm going to go first just because like, I feel like mine's not that interesting, but it brings up the interesting discussion of firearms. Okay. I have chosen to be more like your sort of World of Warcraft hunter, Mm -hmm. where you've got your pet up front dealing with things, and you're sat at the back, you know, shooting at things with your your firearm. So I've put my 15 in intelligence, which gives me an overall intelligence of 16, which is good for the battlesmith, because... Uh, I'm just scrolling across to see what it's called, but they have the thing where they can attack using their intelligence. If it's a magic weapon. If it's a magic weapon, which, thankfully, the weapon I have chosen is. That was something that I fiddled about a bit, which I'll go into when we get to inventory. So, one thing that's worth pointing out is that artificers get infusions. Yeah. One of those infusions is making your weapon magical. Therefore, as a battlesmith... When you hit level 3, you can immediately be using your intelligence to attack and damage rolls. See, I wasn't sure how that worked, rules as written, because D&D Beyond's interpretation of it is you can make a weapon magical using an infusion, but then it doesn't give you your intelligence bonus to it. So I don't know if that's just D&D Beyond can't hit that many levels of, of coding... But if you use your infusion to make something magical and then you look at your stats, it doesn't seem to add your intelligence bonus to it. Because I tried doing that. I think that might be a D&D Beyond thing. I think it might be, yeah. If you choose to do it as replicate magic item and then replicate a plus one weapon. I don't know if you can actually do that on here. Mm. But if you were to do it that way, I think it would have a higher likelihood of working. Yeah. I think one of the reasons that I got stuck on that was because I was looking at the infusion for repeating weapon which is the one where you essentially ignore the ammunition condition because if it doesn't have shots in it it can fire itself Mm. the reason i was looking at that is because firearms a lot of dms will either say i don't want firearms in my world which is fair if you're limiting it to pre-renaissance in terms of your your setting you don't want firearms in your setting 
That's fair enough. If that, that's your right as a DM. A lot of DMs will allow firearms, but they will make the ammunition difficult to get your hands on. So you have to either manufacture it yourself in your downtime. You have to have a good relationship with a blacksmith that you have told how to make it. And you're telling them to, you know, stock up for the next time I'm in town or anything like that. If you take the repeating shot infusion for your weapon, you then don't have to worry about that rare, that scarcity mm-hmm. of ammo if your DM chooses to do it. The reason I'm going round and round about that is because when I was constructing this build, I had trouble with the order that I was doing things. That's not a great way of wording it, but there is kind of a loop between the perk I chose was the gunner perk, which Mm -hmm. gives you proficiency in firearms. The feet. Yes, the feet. So I chose the gunner feet. And that gives you proficiency in firearms. It means if a hostile target is within five feet of you, you don't get disadvantage on ranged attacks. Oh, cool. That's very cool. Uh, there's a third one, which is you can ignore the loading, loading property of them. One of the weird things about D&D Beyond is it lists a bunch of modern firearms in here and even sci-fi firearms in yeah. here for some reason. Personally, I think they should go under non-core. Like, yeah. if, if you go into your character sheet and say, I don't want non-core D&D content, it shouldn't list the sci-fi guns and the modern guns. But the problem is, there's a lot of the guns that... The gunner perk says that you ignore the loading property, mm. which I get. I get that. The problem with that is some of the modern ones have the reload property instead which is you can do a certain number of shots and then you have to take, I think it's an action, to reload the gun. I'm right. If you watch season one of Critical Role, they went into this, but if you just want to see it in action quickly, there's the Mighty Nine versus Vox Machina game that they did. Percy in that, there's a couple of times he asked, I think it's a bonus action to reload the pepper box. But... um, yeah, so you, you have like the reload property, which is different from the, the loading, loading property. property. That's, um, that's key to point out, though. Yeah. The other reason that I'm pointing that out is because the modern guns, some of them, the damage on them is absolutely ludicrous. It's, it's bonkers, man. Now, I contacted Steve to say, are we allowed to use firearms? And when you said yes, the first one that I chose was the shotgun, <laughs> which is 2d8. Because I kind of figured to myself, it is conceivable that somebody could make a shotgun type of... I mean, a blunderbuss would do, wouldn't it? Yeah, there is a blunderbuss. Oh, is there? There is a blunderbuss for the Exandria rules that's got the reloading property on it. That's what I thought it was. So there's also a hunting rifle, which is 2D12, which that's just obscene. So I looked at those two and I thought, right, those are clearly modern guns that it's a musket is probably conceivable for this setting. So in a way, I kind of gimped myself by choosing to not take the piss and take, you know, <laughs> an antimatter gun that does 2D8. What is it? Six? It's a stupid amount It's something of like 66 necrotic or something like that. It's, it's obscene the amount that that one does. Okay. If I was having a no magic setting or a low magic setting, so no one could be a full caster, right? Or no magic items. At that point, I think I would have to give my fighter or ranger or whatever an antimatter rifle. And I can see if you... It doesn't interest me at all. But as a DM, Mm. if if you were wanting to that, like... Almost you wanted to do Dungeons & Dragons in the world of Warhammer 40,000. Yeah. Then, yeah, crack on. 
I keep mentioning Pillars of Eternity. I love Pillars of Eternity so much. Mm. One of the things that they've said in that is the reason they have guns in that setting is literally all of the mundane people who got sick of wizards. Yeah. So they just invented guns. Yeah. And even, I think there's a couple of mechanical things that make even things like the wizard's shields and things are slightly weaker to guns or like guns have more of an effect on wizards in in pillars of eternity in pillars of eternity yeah so i like the fact that they've kind of justified the existence of them in that sitting in that setting by the fact that there's mundane rulers and armies and stuff are just like if a wizard can just cast a fireball and take out like a huge chunks of your army then you get to the point where you need something range that can do an incredible amount of damage to one target. That's interesting. That, so that, that's it, an interesting implication. I really, really like the way that they've they've done that in, in that game. Um, Man, that's I, got me thinking so much. Yeah. Firearms have interesting implications for, for D&D. And I guess when I chose to take a musket because it feels context appropriate, you kind of have to to make that decision for balance reasons as well because like I've taken a feat and the musket gives you 1d12 damage mm-hmm. per round it's piercing. The, yeah it's piercing mm-hmm. so if you think about it that puts you in the ranks of you're then keeping up damage with like a great weapon fighter you're keeping up with a barbarian at the very least with a great with a yeah great axe yeah you know you're doing that kind of damage but you're at range mm. and you've also got a pet standing next to the enemy that you're shooting at which they can then uh, can they they can kind of disimpose impose oh uh yeah they can as a reaction oh my god i should have looked this up so that i knew it off the top of my head i've had a bit of a week this week so you, mm. everyone please forgive me that i'm not usually as oh yeah and you do this mm. as usual okay steel defender has its own stat block and it's in its stat block that's what i'm looking for reaction deflect attack the defender imposes disadvantage on the attack roll of one creature it can see that is within five feet of it, provided the attack rolls against a creature other than the defender. Mm. So, in that case, you can put it next to an enemy that your paladin is beating, for, you, for your character, next to the one your paladin is beating up, and uh, that gets a crit, and you just go, no, disadvantage. <laughs> Roll again. Yeah. So, um, other stats... I think I kind of went a bit r- around the houses, but that's just how my brain works there. Yeah. So I managed to get a 14 in Dexterity, 14 in Constitution, 16 in Intelligence, Wisdom 12, 10 in Charisma and Strength. The reason there's no 8 in there is because I did go with Legacy Githyanki stats, which is plus 1 to... Intelligence. Plus 1 to Intelligence. And the Githyanki sub-race of the Gith race is plus two strength. So the eight is in strength and it levels up to a ten. Okay. But that's just because I, I chose to go with what I interpreted as the legacy version of the stats. Um, no, you didn't have to. Well... Because I didn't. To me, my brain was like, no, that rule still applies. And I, I couldn't get myself around that. So I still Because well, Githyanki are now a separate race. Yeah, they're a separate racial option. It's I, not a sub race yeah. anymore. They're, I, they're two separate races. I still look at it as that's legacy legacy stat. Fair so enough. that's the stats for them. Standout skills. I've got acrobatics plus five because I don't know. In retrospect, thinking about it, if you're a melee character, you want either acrobatics or athletics in case you get grabbed, or in case yeah. you have to make some sort of strength based check or something. Yeah. So I would say that you've made the right choice there with acrobatics 
because it's athletics to make a grapple, yeah? If you're playing a battlesmith, you're probably not going to invest in your strength score. You're probably going to choose to make a magic weapon and use your intelligence. Mm. You can't then use your intelligence for a grapple. <laughs> it's not magical. Yeah. So athletics is pointless at that point. And if you're playing with a barbarian, paladin, strength-based fighter, strength-based uh, ranger, if someone's really doing that, or uh, a cleric with a decent strength score... You don't want to grapple. The The artificer doesn't want to grapple. Someone yeah. else can do that, yeah. I think most of the time, this characters shouldn't really be close enough to be doing the grapple. Yeah, yeah, fair. Arcana plus six, insight plus four. Now, these skills will become more apparent with the background. Investigation plus six, perception plus four. Most of the others are like sort of ones, twos, and zeros. Mm-hmm. Looking at the actions section... I did take the Artificer to level 5, and as a battlesmith, that means they get two attacks per action, which is very nice. The magic item that I chose was a plus one musket. Mm -hmm. While I was doing a a mental lap of honour before, um, (laughs) I think I mentioned that I I had a bit of confusion over this because I didn't know whether to take a normal musket and then give it the repeating property or whether to take a magic one and then use that infusion for something else. If I was in a situation where the DM said ammo is going to be a problem, I would definitely take, take repeating shot. I, I would definitely take the repeating shot infusion because then you don't have to worry about the ammo for it. It's just a musket-shaped thing that uses magic to produce its own ammo. They've got a net which there's a couple of characters that I've thought about doing this for f- more more fluff reasons. You've got magical tinkering, which is I I can never really think of a good reason to use this. Okay, let's talk about that. You can give it a five foot radius light. Essentially, three times a day, you get a little torch. Yeah. A six second long recorded message. Now, if you manage to record on a stealth mission... Yeah, that's true. I'm, ju- I'm now imagining like somebody turning up at the king's palace and just pulling out a rock that's got a recording of the vizier saying that he wants to kill the king. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Go full on um, Jafar with it. Yeah. Emits odour or non-verbal sound. It does not say how loud this non-verbal sound is. Now, it doesn't say that it can do damage or that it can even deafen people, but you could use it as essentially a flashbang because you can only... Yeah, you can only imbue it with one magical property of your choice, and you can affect a maximum of three objects at a time. Like, let's take a stone. You pick up a stone, and you throw a stone, and it just goes, ah! <laughs> right? And everyone goes over to the noise that went ah, and you just walk past the other way. Hmm. I, and as your DM, if, if someone said, look, if I make a distraction over there with this, can I have advantage on the stealth check? Yeah. Hmm. And a static visual effect, including up to 25 words of text... You can write the instructions for how to get into the secret base or where the key is. You know, your rogue recognises, oh, that's a thing that my um, my artificer has left. And then it says, you know, look under the boulder and there's the key to enter the secret base. Or, you know, I'm, I'm kind of spitballing here. And I'm, if the artificer has investigated something or made a copy of the key or has worked out how to open the back door... You know, he opened it once, he went through, and he went, no, there's a load of people in there, I'm not going to be able to stealth. Mm. Came out, shut the door, locked it, and then there's a thing near the door, it'll tell you exactly what to look for when you get in there. 25 words of text. 
Under the big rock, key. There we go. Five words. If we count it as five words per instruction, I've got four other instructions that I can give. Second door on the right, turn left. Mm. Kill the guy. <laughs> yeah. Steel Defender, I think if we just leave the discussion of that to the general section, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think... What there's... did you have as your Steel Defender, though? What, in your head canon, what does your Steel Defender look like? Iron Giant. Not, yeah. obviously, the size of the Iron Giant, but Iron Giant-shaped. You just made a little man. Just a guy. Just a guy. C-3PO. Just, an, just an innocent man. <laughs> just, uh, just a guy to wander around. Okay. It specifically says in the rules you can choose two legs or four legs. Uh-huh. Because obviously your other half has got Artemis the rat. Yes. The giant mechanical rat. They're named after around. our own beautiful boy who we yeah. who was taken from us too young. Yeah. Uh, not child, by the way. We lost. We have a pet rats. Yeah. Uh, I took Mending Cantrip because obviously you can heal the Steel Defender with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the right tool for the job. Yes. With thieves' tools or artisans' tools in hand, you can magically create one set of non-magical artisans' tools they vanish when you use this feature again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does take an hour to produce them. So I know you can create a set of Smith's tools, but I have a set as well. I did the same. Yeah, I because the there's, same. there's so many things that you use them for that I can think you might want to use that in a hurry or you might want to use that in a situation where you don't have an hour to produce the Smith's Absolutely. tools. Yeah. I'm going to look something up, which is... I think it's either Xanathar's or Tasha's that's like, mm. here's a list of uses for tools. Yes, Xanathar's has got that. Because you were saying that about the brewer's tools. Because mm. I was a bit like, oh, brewer's tools, what you what can you do with them without also carrying around a ton of yeast and, and brewing equipment you can't really carry around? And you were <laughs> like, just, just look at it and see what you can do with brewer's Where tools. the bloody hell is it? Tool proficiencies in Dungeon Master's tools. Here we go. There you go. Sharpen a dull blade, a DC of 10. Repair a suit of armour, DC 15. Okay, here's the thing. One of the rules that's suggested in the DMG, or PHB, I can't remember which one, I think it's the DMG, is that armour and weapons that you pick up from creatures are not suitable and need to be repaired. Mm. Usually the armour gets damaged in combat and the weapons are sort of blunt and low quality. If you've got Smith's tools, you could probably argue with your DM if you... Uh, no argument ac- from me. If you come across an enemy who's got a particular sword and you think, I want that sword, and you've got Smith's tools, I think you could probably argue that, like, yeah, you can get that back into working order, you know. I mean, I would put a time... A downtime. I'm not an ungenerous or a generous DM. I, I try to be as on the level as possible. But, you know... If you're doing a breakout of a, a prison or something, or your guys are on the run, you've got a rogue, you've got you, and you manage to get some smith's tools, you manage to get some thieves' tools, etc. Okay, we kill a guard, let's nick the gear. And I'd be like, you can't use it yet because you stabbed through it. Yeah. So it's broken, right? Oh, okay, DC 15, repair a suit of armour. There we go. Sharpen mm. this sword that the, uh, the goblins have been using that we managed to break away from. It's a very specific type of campaign. It's more of a survival mm. type of campaign. But one of the things I've, I've really wanted to do as a DM is a survival style campaign where you guys start with nothing and have to scrounge stuff together. Yeah. Um, I might do that for this October. Spooptober. Spooptober. Mm-hmm. Actually, I know what I'm doing for Spooptober. Yeah. And that would be really interesting. Yeah. So I'm just going to go down to my infusions. The two, ah, well, the two infusions I've got. Goggles of Night, because Gith don't have dark vision. Mm-mm. And I, kind of like John Mulaney and Quicksand, 
I always feel like dark vision is going to be a bigger problem and then it, it very rarely comes up. So I've got goggles goggles at night because then that's you can just do that and bang, you can see in the dark. Masquerade tattoo. Once, is this replicate magic item? Yes, it's in there. It's not in the table in the printed book, but it does say or other items of an appropriate rarity. Yeah. So yeah. D&D Beyond tends to let you replicate things. There's a big list when you click on it on D&D Beyond of, of things yeah, that will yeah. let you replicate. And Masquerade Tattoo is one of the items on there because technically as an item, it is a single-use needle yeah. that is the item. And the ink that it puts on your skin is then a magical tattoo that you can choose to move around and rearrange. Mm-hmm. I've got the musket plus one, which, as I said, that is a 1d12 plus four. So that's that's pretty healthy. I bought a chain shirt because that brings me up to an armor class of 15, which for a character who's not intending to get into close combat is pretty healthy. You don't get disadvantage on stealth, and you do get your dex bonus. Why didn't you pick scale now? Because that would give me disadvantage on stealth. And I feel, again, kind of like with dark vision, I always feel like having disadvantage on stealth is unless you are choosing something that is going frontline and needs the higher AC. I don't don't feel like it's that necessary to have disadvantage on stealth for that. Mm -hmm. Plus, does scale have a strength? No, because it's no. medium. Medium never has a strength requirement. All oh, right, okay. This character has a magnifying glass because of the background. The net, again, I'll mention for the background. Potion of healing, smith's tools, and thieves' tools. Was that your uncommon or lower magic item, the potion of healing? No, the uncommon or lower was the musket plus one. Because um, on D&D Beyond, a potion of healing doesn't show up as a magic item, but technically it is. I yeah. didn't know that. That's why I've never included it. I've just been buying them because they have a set price for purchase. You can go to most shops and get a potion of healing. When you start to get like greater potion of healing and stuff like that, that's the one where it's like... It's included in magic items at that point. Mm, that would be something that the DM is setting the price. There's no listed price for a, a greater thing is what I mean. So I, I've just been kind of working on the, the idea that they would have bought a potion of healing. Yeah, fair. Standard backpack stuff, crowbar, hammer, pigeons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's anything else incredible in there. Spells. I might do background and then spells. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the background is investigator. Mm. Your experience at gaining access to people and places to get the information you need through a combination of fast talking, determination, and official looking documentation, you can gain access to a place or an individual related to a crime you're investigating. The crime that I'm investigating with the Githyanki, they live on another plane and they do occasionally do incursions into the, the prime material plane. On a previous incursion, this character lost a silver sword. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Now, I only know about this because Neverwinter Nights 2 has this as a major plot point. All right. Because, all right, it's an older game, but I know it's available on like Steam and you can get it on Switch now. Can you get it on GOG? No, they've released uh, enhanced versions of it. Oh, them. right, my so, apologies. Right. Uh, you can probably get the old, the original well, version of it on, uh, on, <laughs> on GOG. But yeah, there is a plot point on that where Githyanki are involved, and they are involved because they are trying to get one of these silver swords. Mm. The story behind them is the old evil version of the Githyanki used to use them to cut the threads of yes. uh, people who were travelling in the astral plane. 
but they do have this major thing of if they lose their sword, that becomes their thing. They have to get that sword back. Can I jump in on something there? Yeah. Okay. In my head canon, Githyanki the Society, run by for for oh my god, I cannot remember her name. It begins but with an M. The is an M. There's like a there's a scary lich Gith who made a deal with Tiamat. All that stuff. To me, that's still canon. I think removing the stipulation of typically chaotic evil when no, they're not, they're neutral evil, aren't they? They don't have to be that. They never had to be that. Yeah. It's just that the culture at that time was broadly in that way. And I think that's kind of fine to leave like that. Your mm. individual character is your individual character and it's going to do yeah. whatever the heck they want. Well, it's the, the Drizzt thing. Yeah. Where at the time Drizzt was created, you still had the evil drow who were under the control of Lolth mm-hmm. at the time and Drist was a, a drow that was rebelling against that actively mm-hmm. so even if you still look back at these uh, this lore and say oh that you know this is an evil race and again D&D is very much starting to acknowledge the problems with saying this entire race, race is evil, evil. Yeah. you know you can have a character who is of that race who is not like that yeah, who yeah. is actively working against that and you can make that a big part of the character. Mostly with this, I have made the Gith true neutral. A lot of people interpret that as this character is going to do completely random things for no reason. Morality is not an issue. This character's goal is to get the sword. And whatever. I just give a shit. Yeah. Whatever can be done to get the sword. If that's allying with a group of good adventurers and saving a kingdom to get the next stage on tracking down the sword, that's what they'll do. If they need to tie someone to a chair and peel all of their skin off with a dagger, they'll do that. Morality does not enter the equation. Why is it every time you go, oh, you know, whether it be allying yourself with the kingdom... And instead of saying, or doing something, you know, the inverse that's horrible, you then go into excruciating detail about the awful thing it could be. Just be thankful when I said tie them to a chair, I didn't go full the chiffre. (laughs) So, personality traits. I'm quick to jump to extreme solutions, as I have just demonstrated. (laughs) How many episodes in a week? This is the seventh. (laughs) Seventh episode. Yeah. I'm almost entirely convinced Simon is now making himself in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I'm quick to jump to extreme solutions. Why risk a lesser option not working? It's true. I never accept that I'm out of my depth. I just saw that and I thought that would be an interesting thing to have a character. Because if you have somebody who is from the astral plane, who is alien to the prime material plane, there would be a lot of situations where they just wouldn't realise the danger around them because they're like... I'm fine, I got this. Ideals, obsession. I've lived this way for so long that I can't imagine another way. I imagine they've been looking for the sword for for quite a while. Uh, bonds, I put a custom bond in. Mm. I am seeking my lost sword stolen from me during a previous incursion into the prime material plane. I've misspelled material there, but never mind. Have you put his martial plane? Uh, no, I've put my material plane. <laughs> Which isn't a thing. Eh. Uh, flaws. I know the ends always justify the means and I'm quick to make sacrifices to attain my goals. So that kind of goes with like the the neutral background. Mm. The whole sort of, you know, yeah, not really giving shit about what good it is, and evil. I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. Did you take a feat? Yes, you took gunner. I did. I took, gu- I took gunner. Um, 
Another way of building this character would have been to give them a heavy crossbow. Mm -hmm. Would have been to give them the repeating shot infusion on the heavy crossbow. Because that also says you ignore the loading property. You don't need the proficiency. And then as long as you're just staying ranged, you don't need to worry about the being within five mm -hmm. from another target. So that would be another way of doing it, which would then free up the ASI to take a plus two in intelligence, which this character would benefit a lot from a number of things from a plus two in intelligence. That's something I want to talk about in my so build. So. That would have really, really helped with this. One conflict that I did find is because this is the Githyanki character as one of the racial features you get that knowledge thing yeah you can get knowledge of any one weapon and a skill or tool proficiency yeah so the problem with that is because we've gone battlesmith you get martial weapon knowledge anyway in third edition you had the exotic weapon proficiency as yeah. well there's nothing like that in fifth edition Thank if you've got God. martial proficiency you add your proficiency to any weapon don't you broadly yes pretty much you add... usually if you're proficient in martial you're also proficient in simple weapons yeah so there's very very few situations where you won't have a weapon that you're proficient with in any way so because you've gone battlesmith it kind of negates that knowledge of any weapon thing yeah i would say if you were going to do something like Matt Mercer did at the end of Critical Role Campaign 2, where you've got the the Aeorian weapons. Oh, okay, yeah. Or if you were doing this as a campaign without firearms, someone giving themselves proficiency with a weapon they've created with this, as in so being allowed to use a firearm, yeah. I would allow that. If you're going for a sci-fi setting... Personally, as a DM, I might say if you want to use the sci-fi weapons, you would need to use Githyanki knowledge thing to be able to... Yeah. You would have to train to use them. Because it does say somewhere in the description that it's knowledge of the multiverse. Mm -hmm. So you could then say, yeah, I'm taking knowledge of it from this other thing. This other so universe. you could yeah. use it to give yourself knowledge of... Again, rifles. you'd probably have to check with the DM so that you didn't pull out something like an antimatter rifle. But then that means you use your Githyanki thing to give yourself knowledge of guns. Mm -hmm. You use the repeating shot infusion on the magic item that you've chosen as your starting loadout. Oh, it, it would have to be a mundane one that you turn magic because of that Could with the repeating shot rifle, infusion. Though. And then that would free up your ASI to give you plus two in intelligence. However, you have to consider then that you are using a weapon you are using a weapon proficiency and an infusion to give yourself an ASI when you might be doing more damage or getting more out of the feat. I'm not saying it's not a good trade-off. I would just bear in mind that in my brain, it appears to be a trade-off. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, and the people at home are going, what are you on about, Steve? But in my mind, it appears to be a trade-off. It is a trade-off, because when you mentioned that thing about the Aeorian weapons, you can change what you have knowledge of on a long rest, can't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. you finish a long rest, it means that the DM can put interesting weapons in, and then that means after a long rest, you can put your proficiency in that. If you lock yourself into this particular gun, it means if you run into something else, you can't just change on the fly because there's so many other parts of your build that you've thrown into. It has to be a gun. 
I have a counterpoint. Which is? For the first two levels, you don't have proficiency in martial weapons. That's true. The first three levels, you don't have gunner because you haven't... And you could give yourself proficiency in firearms for the first three levels. And this is now turning into, this is how Steve would run it at his table, which is not necessarily what the conversation's about, I suppose. But if you were saying, for you to be proficient in firearms, that's a rare thing in in my world. And in fact, in Lura, there are no firearms. So, Yeah. yeah. But for three levels, until you get the gunner feet, proficiency in a firearm is great. That's definitely an issue with this build, is this is definitely a build that does not come online until, until fourth, fourth or fifth. Level. I think fourth is the minimum, but fifth is then you're doing 2d12 per turn. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a bit of a waste that the gunner feet gives you proficiency in firearms, because the rules state, I can't remember where it is, but when talking about firearms, it, it, it says if you have proficiency with martial weapons, you are presumed to have proficiency with firearms. Mm. They count as a martial, a ranged martial weapon. Hey, editing Simon again. I think Steve clarifies this later, but the DM's guide, page 267, chapter 9, says in the proficiency section, it's up to you to decide whether a character has proficiency with a firearm. Characters in most D&D worlds wouldn't have such a proficiency. During their downtime, characters can use the training rules in the player's handbook to acquire proficiency, assuming they have enough ammunition to keep the weapons working while mastering their use. What I think he's referring to is that the Artificer rules say that you are presumed to have proficiency with firearms if they exist in your setting. Right, now we have to go back to those two. Yeah. So, I don't really see the point of Gunner having that. Yeah. I think it's just so that it didn't become a half feat. Yeah. I'm going to quickly run through the spells and then I'll hand over to you. So I've got Guidance just yeah. because Guidance is a very nice out-of-combat mm-hmm. one. It's not so useful in combat because it takes an action and that means you give somebody 1d4 to a skill check where there's not many situations where you're going to be doing skill checks in combat. I mean, it it's nice in terms of the fact that if somebody's taking the help action... They can give the person advantage, advantage. and then and you can give gui- yeah you can give guidance on top of that. Mage hand from the Githyanki psionics, which obviously that's invisible, so it's it's kind of like the the telekinesis. It's like mini telekinesis, yeah. Mini telekinesis feet. Got mending so that you can heal the steel defender. First level, I've got detect magic. I've got disguise self from the Masquerade Tattoo, which can be cast once per day. Now, if this person's investigating a silver sword, they're not always going to want to turn up looking like a Githyanki. No. Because then it's going to be obvious what they're looking for and why. Mm -hmm. So being able to disguise yourself at level one, that's kind of a fluff thing with that. Fairy Fire, just because that's quite a nice, useful one. one. That's a good one. False Life which I kind of like because if you're giving yourself temp HP, you've said before, it's a nice one to just be like, boop, three extra hit points. I mean, if you can take Armour of Agathis, take Armour of Agathis. But uh, you get false jump life is good. from the Githyanki Psionics and Shield, which, friend of the podcast. Old Faithful. Yeah. Aid, which we've seen has had great effects in the, the home game. Mm-hmm. That's plus five hit points to up to three characters. And if you have higher level spell it's slots not. and you upcast it, it turns it into another five, five for five every level, extra. Yeah. You can only cast it onto three people. So this is good for a small party. It's not so good if you've got like a critical role size party because then you need to pick who you're doing it with. 
That said, if you have a party of six and two of you have aid, that's mm. everybody. And it's not concentration, so you don't have the problem of, oh, your aid has gone down, who did you cast it on? And then having to get yeah. half the party. No, you don't have that. It's, it just happens. And the benefit of that is, so let's pretend we have third level spell slots with aid. <laughs> Everyone has 10 HP at the beginning of the day. If you've got two clerics or a cleric and an artificer or, or whatever something that has aid and third level spell slots yeah that's everyone with 10 h extra hp that's a third level spell slot that you haven't had to waste on something like mass healing word or healing spirit or it went out of my head but there's a prayer of healing Mm. there's something like that yeah i've got blur because obviously this is a ranged character so having them sit in the back sit away from combat Misty Step comes from Githyanki mm-hmm. uh, Psionics, which I'm really pleased at because that's like Fae Touched. You get a free cast of it. Yeah. And then you can use spell slots to cast it. So if you are a ranged character and you've got somebody suddenly runs up to you, the only problem with that is it's a bonus action. You control your steel defender through bonus actions. And this is, there are a couple of things that are limited in this build. Like I say, what I would love to do with an artificer is have. You know, rapier in one hand, hand crossbow in the other hand. There is a trick you can do with the repeating infusion thing where you can fire the hand crossbow as a bonus action, but it comes off your bonus action, which you need to control your steel defender. So the fact that we specifically got the steel defender Mm. subclass on this means I couldn't do that build, which is annoying because I really wanted to. An artificer is one of the only ones where you can get away with it. Misty Step and Warding Bond, which I think is one of the you always yeah, know. Yeah, that and Branding Smite. Yeah, oh, Branding Smite is a good one. That's yeah, worth yes. mentioning. The only problem that I have with Branding Smite is its concentration, which means it would knock off Blur, it would knock off Heroism if you had it cast, it would knock off Fairy Fire if you had that on. So it's the next time you hit a creature with a weapon attack, so could I use that with my gun? It just says weapon attack, it doesn't say melee attack. I would say yes. So in that case, that's 1d12 plus 2d6 plus 4 damage. You, you can bring that I'm doing on, range. That I'm doing with my big gun. Yeah. The final thing that I have to ask about this build mm. is because mm-hmm. I've got the gunner feet says you do not suffer disadvantage if you have a hostile target within 5 feet of you when making a ranged attack. Mm. Does that mean I could shoot at the person who's within 5 foot? Yes. So you can make a ranged attack at someone who's next to you. Yeah. And it wouldn't be at disadvantage because of the gunner feet. No. Nope. Okay. As, as my so, understanding goes. So this character could get up close. It wouldn't make sense because if you can do a D12 damage at ranged or you can do it up close and risk getting hit by someone, you should probably be at range. Let's turn that around. If someone's next to your target and they choose to take the help action, you now have advantage on that shot. If you're next to them, you can never have advantage on that shot. Okay. Just to point out, because remember, advantage and disadvantage, there is no, well, I've got two disadvantages to one advantage. Mm. It always equals out. You, yeah. you don't start plussing and minusing how many there are. I've spoken about my great love for the medium armor master feat. One of the things that it says is you do not suffer disadvantage if a medium armor would give it to you. Yeah. Which means that you then can have advantage on stealth if you have a cloak of elven kind or whatever. Cancelling disadvantage is not the same as giving advantage. No, you would be no no no. I retract my statement then. Because it says you wouldn't have you don't have disadvantage if someone's within five feet. 
Mm. Therefore, yes, you could get advantage on that. You know, you could. Oh, here he comes. I think that was the last thing that I had to... Hiya, buddy. Thanks, mate. I think that was the last thing that I had to ask about bed. this character. Was Nope. Bed. Bed, bed. Yes. Good boy. Yes, good boy. So your final question. Uh, no, I think that was my final point, okay. was about can you use the gun at short range because of the gunner feet, which... If you think about it in terms of like the modern military, they do all of the gun drills about like if you're in trouble at close range, you're not just like, you know, having to rely on smacking them with the butt of the weapon or whatever. You know, you can actually sort of manoeuvre the gun into position to fire it at close range if you need to. Mm. I should also say I, I have very little knowledge of real world guns or the military. So if I've just said something really stupid there, that's just because that's what the gun drills send, seem like to me. Send your complaints to at Build a Bad Pod. Yeah, please do. And uh, remember, if you're at home, always keep your finger on the trigger, especially if you're pointing at a weapon at someone. Yeah. I shouldn't need to say don't do that. But yeah. hand over to Steve. Steve, tell me what you've done. Okay. My character concept came really quickly. There is a piece of law that the Githyanki have made a deal with Tiamat and now fly through the Astral Sea on the backs of red dragons. Ooh. And I thought, how can I get my gith to ride on the back of a red dragon? And that is the character concept here. <clears throat> okay. This is Lyrics's Kurgizel. Uh, I didn't mention the name no. of mine. Mine was named Mijal, which is because originally, when I thought you have a battlesmith friend <laughs> and you are technically a mechanic... I was thinking Phil and Grant Mitchell. That was my original concept. Fucking Because I think it would be really funny to play an artificer as just a cockney mechanic. I mean, that is what I do with Crumble <laughs> in our campaign. So this was inspired by Mr. Mixit Spitlick from DC Comics. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> <clears throat> Mixit Spitlick. Yeah. I might be pronouncing it wrong. I've heard it pronounced that way, which is supposed to be unpronounceable. So I made an a sort of quasi-unpronounceable name for my character. Okay. I don't think... I, I looked it up. That's not how gift names work. But you could make a joke of it every time you introduce yourself. You know, the DM then repeats it back to you and you're like, no, Brennan Lee Mulligan did a great version of this with Bola, which is when they introduce themselves and they go, it's Bola. And everyone's like, Bolo. And they're like, no, Bola. Bola? He's like, no, Bola. Uh, and he he kept just slightly changing it so yeah. it was like that nobody could get, is, yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. could get this name right. So um, <laughs> I went all the way to level five. Cool. I'm going to do my stats quickly. Mm -hmm. I put my fifteen in intelligence. I put my fourteen in constitution. No po through my letterbox this week. Hey. I put my thirteen in dex. My twelve in charisma. My ten in strength and my eight in wisdom. And I know that we have had a discussion, you and I, and that last week I, I said. Oh, I've copied you. I've put in intelligence in... Uh, uh, sorry, I've put my 13 in, in wisdom, because wisdom saving throws are really important. This character is an idiot. Okay. An intelligent <laughs> idiot, but an idiot nonetheless. I think that's sometimes nice to have a character that you just play as an idiot. Okay, so he, he has a really low wisdom score. It's kind of funny. I like it. I put my plus two in intelligence and my plus one in dexterity. So that I ended up with 14 in dex overall and a 17 in intelligence overall. That was one thing I did want to say about building this is if you take the ASI in intelligence, if you put the Githyanki plus two in intelligence and you put your 15 intelligence, 
you can get to a starting intelligence of 19, which means when you hit level 8. Every yeah. 4. So it means when Rough you hit level one. 8, you can take a half feet and get to 20 intelligence. Yeah, I was very <clears throat> close to that. I originally, because of this whole idea of them flying through the stars on dragons, I took Gift of the Gem Dragon because mm. gem dragons hunt aberrations. Mm. Or some gem dragons do, I should point out. that there's, there's one, I think it's Amethyst. No, we mentioned which one it was in the Aberrant Mind Sorcerer because that was part of your yeah that was part of your law, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, but it went out of my brain. Well, please go back and listen to that episode. I'm that'll not help. looking it up that'll because otherwise I, I, I won't get through my character. Well, no, it'll help our stats. Okay, yeah, let's have a look. <laughs> <laughs> I want it on record that Simon make, made me make the bad decision. <laughs> oh no, please go back and listen. I'm, yeah. I am going to look it up here though. I know what I'm looking for. There is a gem stalker. When a gem dragon kills an aberrant... Oh, it's any gem dragon, I think. The dragon sometimes reshapes the alien corpse into a gem stalker, a cunning predator capable of traversing the underdark, hunting aberrations and guarding its creator's lair. Okay. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Did actually know what it was on about. So, I was going to give him Gift of the Gem Dragon, and that would take my intelligence up to 18. I have left it at an odd number, 17. It hurts Mm. deep down inside... But when I tell you the shenanigans I found... Oh! I found shenanigans this hey. week. I think it'll make sense. So, skills. Uh, I have a plus six in Arcana, a plus six in Investigation. I did take proficiency in Wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, in Perception. Okay. So I get a plus two. And uh, Survival. So even though they're both Wiz-based, they're going up with my proficiency bonus. And with when I explain the background and everything, it'll kind of become clear. I'll do the background first, actually. This character is... Looking forward to the spell release of Spelljammer. So I took the Sailor background. Because we don't yet have a Spelljammer background. So I've taken the Sailor background as a kind of allusion to that. So anything vaguely nautical replaced with something vaguely astral. And Hmm. this is what this is. And I don't think you'd find many DMs who are like, no, it only says you can get on a marine boat. I think if you said, hey, can I use this as in place of Spelljammer because I don't have Spelljammer yet. Yeah, cool. Yeah, you could use that as long as you say to your DM before and you don't just turn up to the first session and just be like, yeah. oh no, it's Sailor as in the Astral Sea. Yeah. And then the DM's like, um... But if you, if you were going into the Astral, you know, you know it's going to be in the Astral Sea and you're like, hey, can I use them as a sailor of Astral Sea? I don't think anyone's going to have a no. Personality traits. My language is as foul as a naughty nest. <laughs> I enjoy sailing into new... or star sailing into new ports and making new friends over a flag and a veil. I've just thought what could be funny yeah. is if you go around calling yourself a sailor and then the second you get in contact with a ship, you're like, I've got no idea how to sail on the ocean. Yeah, just you know, uh, just in the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's kind of like that. Aspiration. Someday I'll own my own ship and chart my own destiny. Oh. I'll always remember my first ship. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the bond. Sorry, the last bit there. And flaws. Once someone questions my courage, I never back down, no matter how dangerous the situation. <laughs> so my, my little backstory for him is that Githyanki have crashes. Right, where they so the astral sea is a is an area of stasis. Uh, nothing grows. So what the Githyanki do is they lay their eggs on planets that do have stuff happen, and then once they reach maturity, they bugger off back into space. Mm. This is one of the ones they left behind. Okay. So he knows about Githyanki culture. He was in a crash. He was raised, and then they left him behind because they were like. Not this one, chap. (laughs) (laughs) Not this one. All right. So he's really hyper intelligent, but just has no nous. So sort of 
Tiberius kind of thing. Yeah, I'm thinking of the, the sort of scatterbrained academic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. yeah. Totally. Like, I actually worked with someone who said, my job as a taxi driver, every day I picked this guy up and I drove him to the Oxford University. And we're having a conversation with this guy, lovely chap, and he says, here's the thing, man. I am the world's authority on the understanding of electricity. Mm-hmm. I cannot wire a plug. Even more dangerous, I can't open the plug to rewire it in the first place. The screwdriver mm-hmm. doesn't make sense to me because it's not electricity yeah. and it's not theoretical, right? Yeah. So th- he's kind of that guy. Just yeah. no common sense. I'll probably cut the name, but there's a you know professor of nuclear science and everything like mm-hmm. that. Hugely influential guy. And just so many stories that my wife has of incredibly stupid things mm-hmm. that he's done that because he has like no practical knowledge. No. I, having moved from a university town to the rural countryside, have, have found myself in a very similar situation <laughs> with being told constantly by people like academically, yeah, yeah, great, you're great. And then just moving here and I'm an idiot child here. (laughs) I'm lucky enough to have some, not all, but some of that skill. That's probably by osmosis. So my steel defender is a dragon. A metallic dragon. Nice. Not metallic as in gold, silver, bronze, but made of metal. Mm. Okay. Can't fly because your steel defender can't fly. Although shenanigans. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ah, I'm going to go through my infusions first. I do like that it puts it at the bottom of the inventory. Yes, it's the right place for That's it. That's exact. I would argue, I think the Steel Defender should go in your Extras tab. It so is on Katie's. Get, so you can get to it really quickly. I couldn't find a way to add it to Me neither. Extras. So Me neither. How she's managed to do that... Pixie power. Yeah. For my infusions, Armour of Magical Strength, which gives you six charges a day, and mm. you can expend a charge to add your intelligence modifier to any strength check or strength saving throw. As a reaction, when it would, when you would be knocked prone, the wearer can expend a charge to not be knocked prone. That's pretty good. It is for what's coming next. But that'll get there. I took Enhanced Defense as another infusion, Enhanced Weapon as another infusion, and I did take Replicate Magic Item Goggles of Night so that I could have the Goggles of Night as well. Yeah. Your four infusions that you know mm-hmm. are stuck. But daily you can change them. I thought they were, which is why I actually chose Homunculus Servant as one of mine. Because even though you've got the Steel Defender, there are going to be situations where it's going to be more useful to have little floating buddy mm-hmm. instead. Like a, a stealth mission, you're not going to want big clanking No, you Grant don't Mitchell. want it. No, you... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> there are going to be some situations. So you can tell your party, look... Overnight, I'll disassemble this. I'll make up a, a, a homunculus servant for tomorrow. And then you've got the homunculus servant and you've got, you know, your steel defenders in a cupboard mm-hmm. somewhere. Just chilling uh, out. Yeah, just just inactive. Or That's you, a, it's interesting, though. I do find it interesting that you know four, but you can only have two active. I've been having an, a disagreement with someone online. Very mm-hmm. civil disagreement. This isn't an argument online. Yeah. And someone was saying, I think artificers are great infiltrators because of the infusions. And I was having a back and forth about it. And I said, sorcerers get so many spell slots. I know it's not more than a wizard, but they do get a lot. And they often get spell-like features for free as well. This doesn't apply to the wild magic sorcerer. Mm. But something like the shadow sorcerer that can just point and cast darkness for two sorcery points. Yeah. 
they've created an area of, an area of darkness <clears throat> that you can now see through and you can just go right just go straight forwards everyone runs through no one can see you that's great for a stealth check mm. it's also great for if you need to create a distraction that kind of thing right spell like effects are really good and when you can twin polymorph invisibility disguise self etc 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 that becomes really useful for yeah. wizards you have so many spells in your spell book that oh we're infiltrating next day load up on infiltration spells yeah artificer <clears throat> i can i have two infusions and sorry i have four infusions and so at least one of those i have to dedicate to an infiltration or exploration thing hmm. and then next day i can choose to have that one thing be advantageous i'm not saying that infusions aren't good I'm just saying that most people are probably going to have two infusions that they're always going to have on, and the other two are, this is my backup for social encounters, exploration, infiltration. I need to be the ranged person because Mary isn't coming this week. You know, like, the backups. You're probably going to take those, but most of the time you're going to have your standout favourites, and those standout mm. favourites are going to be: oh, I'm spellcasting, I'll take the enhanced magic focused. Oh, I'm wielding a weapon, I'll take the enhanced weapon or armor. Yeah. So the reason that I didn't go for half plate, I think there's the gleaming, smoking, and uh, <laughs> cast off armor sets you can get as replicating a magic item. If you had high strength, you could use it to produce just straight up produce a set of half plate armor. One of the things that I thought about as a build for this, which would be a stupid way of doing it, I think this would only be viable if you're doing a majority social campaign, Mm. is a con man. So you make the set of plate armor, you sell it, and then you get the hell out of town before it disappears. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. You can just cancel the So you can do that, and then you could build for things like deception, so that you can go to shops and you can sell it to play, you know, you use your deception to sell it to a shop. I I would do that on... Because it's 1,500 gold pieces... I would do that on an infiltrator armorer artificer over the battlesmith. Yeah. Because I like the idea of mixing rogue in there yeah. and getting sneak attack and stuff. But if you are including content from Acquisitions Incorporated, you can get a spyglass as one of the items that you can infuse. So oh, really? you wake up in the morning, you create a spyglass, you create a set of plate, full plate armor, you go into town, you sell them, you spend the rest of the day getting as far away from that town as you can. And then you wake up in a new town, you create another spyglass, mm-hmm. you create another set of plate armor, and you just run around making yourself... Filthy rich, but also yeah. public enemy number one. Well, exactly, yeah. You would eventually run out of towns that you can go that's back so cool, to. Like or again, even if you're a normal artificer, and that's not the whole focus of your character... If you need money in a hurry, you can just burn a location on the map by scamming the local merchants and selling them some of your infusions. Get the hell out of town. And then I think it's when you use that infusion again, Mm -hmm. it disappears. So they're just going to wake up the next morning and the plate armor that they've bought is just gone. Mm -hmm. Or presumably has just fallen apart into flimsy bits of metal yeah, that, that don't actually ma- stick yeah, together that your magic was only making a, a set of thing it, I it, love and that. yeah it's like the cinderella thing you know it, it, <laughs> plate mail it's turned into like plate mail shaped bits of pumpkin or something okay i wanted my character to ride a dragon yeah unfortunately oh no you can only ride your steel defender if you're a gnome or a halfling or, or a small or tiny race because it has to be at least one size larger than you I was looking at the spells. At fifth level, you can take enlarge reduce as a second level spell. So I'm just enlarge my dragon. Oh, I was thinking shrink yourself. 
which works with like a low wisdom character where you can, oh, oh no no I, I was just thinking that's funny that, I was just thinking if you could have the backstory that he's been doing that until literally somebody said why don't you just make yourself bigger yeah why don't you make the dragon bigger and that's just like mind blowing and then you get on top of it I also took for my ASI the mounted combatant feat ooh and I took a plus one lance as my magic item mounted combatant while you are mounted and aren't incapacitated, you have advantage on melee attack rolls against any unmounted creature that is smaller than your mount. You can force an attack targeted your mount to target you instead. If your mount is subjected to an effect that allows it to make a dex saving throw to take only half damage, it instead takes no damage if it succeeds on the saving throw, mm-hmm. and only half damage if it fails. That's good. Yeah, very good. Very, very, very good. Also, you get two uses of this a day. So if, if you're playing at a table like ours where you get one or two combats a day, this is guaranteed to sit on a mount. Yeah. If you're playing in four to six combats a day, this is not so useful. Yeah, But, you know, it's coming. It's, it's not an optimization decision. It's a fluff. It's a character. This is a character decision. And usually yeah. I'm like, no, not usually. This isn't true. Often I'm like, okay, this is the way to make the build as best as I can make it. This was, I want to make the most stupid fun build that I can. Good. Which is not unusual for me. It's just... Mm. Now, mounted combat uses half your movement to mount. But your mount can move. And a steel defender has 40 feet. Now, you can move on its turn. And you can also hold your action until you've entered combat. Yeah, there's a lot of people that do that with... If I need to mount it. There's a lot of people that do that with, like, ranged artificers. are like, right, I'm going to hold my action... Until my steel defender grabs them. Then you use your bonus action to command the steel defender to grab them. Then on the steel defender's turn, they grab them and then your your action is triggered. So a lance has the special property. Lance has got a weird... It's it's a weird weird one, man. You have disadvantage when you use a lance to attack a target within five feet of you. However, if I'm facing a medium creature and my mount is now is large, that means that it's bypassed. I can't ever get advantage, but I never have disadvantage for that. Okay. Which means that I can continue to use my lance in combat and continue getting my plus one. Which is why it wasn't important to me for me to have an 18. Because I can use my plus one to make up for that. It also means that for my action, I enlarge my mount, charge, and then I use my mount's bonus action command to attack. It's mm. enlarged and it gets an extra d4 to the damage roll. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So then the next turn, I hold my action. I command it to disengage, because that's an action you can take. So that's my bonus action, disengage. Once I've disengaged, pop, 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 pop. (laughs) Two attacks, all the extra damage. Lovely. This also means I also have, have a crossbow, which also means that if I want, and I've run out of enlarge reduce, I can use my plus one infusion twice. Or not take Goggles of Night and use a plus one infusion. Bop on my crossbow. Shoot enemies. Mm-hmm. While my steel defender imposes disadvantage on them and is attacking yeah. them. So I've got best of both worlds here. And the armour of magical strength. Part of the mounted combat rules is that if you are knocked off, you are knocked prone. Six times a day, I'm not knocked You're prone. You're not knocked prone. I'm yeah. not knocked prone. Not having it. I see. So it's not fully optimised at all. But I think it's an interesting combination. And when we're really unlikely to get mounted yeah. characters again unless we get a Drake Warden Ranger. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, because one, one thing you said there with the, the crossbow, 
we've mentioned the loading property on crossbows it says you can only attack with it once on your turn mm-hmm. unless you have either repeating shot which says it negates the loading property or crossbow master which negates the, lo- the loading property or if you're using firearms the gunner feet yeah the other thing is that as part of mounted combatant if my mount is targeted i can have it attack me instead and for my mount's reaction, I can impose disadvantage on that attack. <laughs> <laughs> so in theory, my mount can't be taken out, and therefore I shouldn't really be knocked off it. But if I do, I get up. I don't get knocked prone, <laughs> which means that I don't have to use half my movement to get up and then my full movement to get back on my mount. Yeah. It shouldn't matter too much. That would be a big problem without the can't be knocked prone thing. Yeah. It shouldn't matter too much, because if you have to use half your movement to get up and then half your movement to get on your mount, you should be okay. But (laughs) Mm. if you've got something like 35 feet, because you've taken some sort of feat or or have some other feature from from another Mm. class, that's when things start to get a little bit more complicated. But again, we're going with the Gith race because that's what we rolled. Yeah. If you did a character who was a gnome or a fairy or something that's small-sized, you wouldn't have to cast Reduce on yourself to get on, would you? Or Enlarge on the Beast. Yeah, you wouldn't have to cast Enlarge slash Reduce. You could just get on the Beast. You could just get on the Beast. That would only really work, though, if you're facing small enemies. You only get advantage when the mount is bigger than your enemy. If you're facing nothing but goblins, a gnome with a lance on the back of a giant metal dog for a laugh, like like Hoggle. Is it Hoggle out of Labyrinth? That little weird thing on the back of a dog. Oh, no, that's uh, that's Sir Didymus. Sir Didymus, thank you, thank you. Yeah, like a little little gnome boy running around (laughs) on the back of a... Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> Especially if we're combining the Eldritch Knight build we did with this, three levels of this. So now our Eldritch Knight Gnome Battlesmith Cross is on the back mm. of a Steel Defender wielding a magic lance they've enchanted themselves. That's pretty yeah. wicked with the Mounted Combat and Feet. But... So yeah, that is Lyrix's uh, Kurgizzle. They're fun. Mm. I like the idea that they're on spell jamming ships and they're like, oh, we've got a gif on our ship. And everyone's like, oh, I guess they fly around on dragons and some fucking dickhead turns up and he's like, I've got a dragon. (laughs) Church. Yeah, he's a very sort of character, isn't he? Where it's like, I ride a dragon and everyone's like, sort "Mm, of, sort of. But I like the fact that I I was saying like, oh, I I was being clever and saying, oh, I cast blur on myself and then attack at range so that they've got disadvantage on hitting me. And you're just like, yeah, I do exactly the same thing. And I'm riding a dragon. (laughs) (laughs) They have... They have disadvantage hitting me. You can only do it once per turn. It's not as guaranteed as yours. But when the stars align and you can do it, it's funny. Yeah. (laughs) And here's the thing. We need to retract a statement. Do we? We're wrong. Ooh. Like, not just incorrect, we're morally wrong. One level fighter does not give you heavy armor proficiency. Does it not? No. For your first level, it Ah. does. Taking it as a one-level dip does not. And I feel we've accidentally implied that. Because we might not have explicitly said it, but we accidentally implied it. I'd say that's a clarification more than a correction. Yes. But I just want everyone to know, because I went, I'm going to take one level of fighter, I'm going to stick Booming Blade Mm. on it, so it's Booming Lance, and have heavy armour. You can't do it. So that's your character. Yeah. We'll take a little bit of a break, have a little bit of a drink, pay Mm. some attention to the dog. Yeah, poor boy. And we will be back in the second half. Indeed. Yeah. 
did it by accident there? Yeah, I accidentally tapped it. So, quick little clarification on page... Pe- pe- quick clarification. On page 268 of the Dungeon Master's Guide, you will find the optional rules for firearms, and it states that firearms across all three categories of Renaissance, modern, and futuristic are martial ranged weapons. So that's how I came to the conclusion that it says if you are proficient with uh, martial weapons, you are also presumed if proficient with firearms. However, the astral knowledge trait of the Githyanki says that it's proficiency with a weapon from the PHB. Now, it specifically says from the PHB, and that's how it limits it in D&D Beyond, which is why you can't see it in there. So the trick that we mentioned about possibly using your astral knowledge to know about firearms and then freeing up the ASI wouldn't work unless you agreed with your DM to just ignore what D&D Beyond says and do it anyway. I personally see no problem with allowing someone to, to take firearm proficiencies from first level with with Githyanki. If they exist in your setting. If they yeah. exist in your setting, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't have firearms in my setting, but if I did, I, I don't see any reason why not. Mm. I mean, it's the equivalent to a great axe, the musket, so I don't see mm. any reason why not. I think it creates an interesting situation for your setting, whether firearms are common, whether they're known about but very few people have them, mm. or if... You know, like in uh, Vox Machina, if a member of your party is the person who has invented them. Mm. I think that can be another interesting consideration because, as I said with Pillars of Eternity, they've got a reason baked into the story there that firearms both exist and how they tend to be used within the world. Mm -hmm. If you have firearms, it can very much be something that builds into the way the world works rather than just being a question of do we have firearms or not? Absolutely. So your thoughts on the Battlesmith Artificer? General thoughts. Pros and cons. That's what we usually do. Yeah. There we go. My biggest thought mm-hmm. about the Battlesmith Artificer is similar to the discussion that we were having last week about bonus actions. There's a couple of things that it kind of... Misty Step. Mm. Misty Step is a bonus action. So if you misty step to get out of the way of something, it means, I don't know, because saying it out loud, I'm now realising that I was thinking like, oh, if you bonus action misty step or you do mm-hmm. something else with your bonus action, that means your steel defender can't attack. But your steel defender can still move mm-hmm. and it will automatically take the dodge action. Now, when you view that compared to a character who doesn't have a steel defender, if they use their bonus action to misty step, they just get the misty, misty step. step. And yeah. you still get all this for yeah. practice. Yeah. yeah, you still get your second body on the battlefield moving around and giving somebody else advantage. Here's the other thing about that. If it automatically takes the dodge action, then it won't disengage, but it can. you can move it away and the opportunity attack will have disadvantage. Yeah. I think that I had been looking at it as if you do something with your bonus action, then your steel defender can't do anything, which means you can't use bonus actions. It just means you have to weigh that up. That's an additional thing that you weigh up. But that's the same way that with any character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like with a sorcerer, if you misty step with your bonus action, that means that you can't quicken a cantrip or a spell. But... The thing is, is that quickening a spell has a cost as well. If you misty step as a sorcerer, 
you're using a spell slot instead of using sorcery points to quicken a spell. Yeah. With this, you're giving up an attack to Misty Step and still have a thing that's useful on on the board. Mm. You still get to decide whether it uses its reaction to impose disadvantage. So just because you've got the hell out of dodge, you know, you might have left your paladin, your fighter, your barbarian up there, and your steel defender can still impose disadvantage on that roll. That reaction, for some reason, keeps sliding off my brain. It keeps so sliding I, off mine as well. I kept thinking of it as, like, if you can't take an action with your Steel Defender, then they can't grapple someone and give you advantage on your hit. Or don't you you get advantage on Gra- uh, hitting pass. something that's grappled, Yes, I think, possibly. But I was just looking at it in terms of that. Like They at least have disadvantage. To yeah. Hit, yeah. You can't use your Steel Defender for that. But like you said, you, as a reaction, you can give them disadvantage on their hit and things like that. So... It's still, even if you're not taking actions with your Steel Defender, it's still wandering around the battlefield being very useful. If you're a sorcerer and your GM is a dickhead and has given a character the Mage Slayer feat, which means that they can use an attack of opportunity when a caster casts a spell, you cast a spell and there is disadvantage on that attack that could hit you. This is so situational. I appreciate mm. that some, that sometimes my examples are a little bit more situational than we should really be talking about. But in that specific situation, your Misty Step is more valuable than any other caster's Misty Step. Maybe yeah. other than a Beastmaster Ranger, who I don't think can do the same thing. Yeah. One thing I did find out that was interesting, and this is on Sage Advice, so straight from the mouth of Crawford... <laughs> Steel Defenders can attune to magic items, apparently. He says Steel Defenders can can attune to magic items. They count as creatures, so yes. I was thinking of that in terms of giving them like a big-ass sword, but the problem is their stat block does not list proficiency. No. So you could give them a sword, but they wouldn't get any attack bonus to to attacking with it. It would just be a straight roll, plus any pluses the weapon Mm -hmm. gives them. So they're probably more, in terms of weapons, they're probably more useful just punching things. Force-empowered rend is their attack. That is their attack. But I can't think off the top of my head of any magic items that you could put on them. There is an infusion that you could use, which I wanted to talk about. Okay. Ring of spell storing. Store a misty step in it and give it to them so that they can misty step. (laughs) Yeah. um, (laughs) I, I Get some heck out of dodge. I was just thinking simplistic, like the um, the braces of defense and a, a cloak of protection. You could give them a pair of them, and then you've got a slightly more tanky steel defender. Plus, it looks pretty. Hang on. Do artificers get fireball? I don't know if they do. I'm not sure what's on their spell list and isn't. They tend to have more buff and modify spells, don't they? They've it, got their own spell list, so I don't think it's like uh, from such and such a school. Like it is with the Eldritch Knight, Arcane Knight. Uh, Eldritch Knight. Eldritch they they Knight. have two specific schools, yeah. yeah. I always get that wrong. Uh, that's why it's the Arcane Trickster and Eldritch Knight. They have spells from a particular school. This is something that I meant to say up front. I don't know how Artificer is pronounced. So if I seem like I'm flicking back and forth between Artificer and Artificer, it's because I don't know where the stress in the word is. Because you've got, like, when you describe artifice, as in, you know, the craft of creating things. Yeah. 
but it just feels like artificer should be the proper conjugation of the word. I, I don't know. So I'm probably going to go back and forth. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'm just thinking if you don't have anything useful to do for your infusions, or you've got an infusion that you're thinking, well, I could give myself a plus one armor. If you're umming and arguing about what to do, you've got a big list of magic items that you can produce with the create magic item infusion. So there's got to be some good ones on the list there yeah. that you could then give to your steel defender to use. You can create two rings, which are made of platinum, worth 50 GP each, and you can give one to you and one to another creature, and you can split the damage between you. I can't remember what it's called. It's a spell. It's the spell that you get free oh, at second level. Warding Bond. Warding Bond. Right, thank you. Because I, I meant to mention that. I Sometimes, if I'm on the ball, I'll remember to double-check all of the spells that I've chosen and make sure that they don't have a weird component that lists the value. I did that just as I was in the car and waiting mm. for Frodo to come out. <laughs> yeah, so it says, Warding Bond, a pair of platinum rings worth at least 50 GP each, which you and the target must wear for the duration. And then you can ward a willing creature you touch and creates a mystical connection between you and the target until the spell ends. While the target is within 60 feet of you, it gains a plus one bonus to AC and saving throws and has resistance to all damage. Yeah. Also, each time it takes damage, you take the same amount of damage. The spell ends if you drop to zero hit points or if you and the target become separated by more than 60 foot. I believe Sam Regal is using a modified version of this, which doesn't require the rings. Yeah, I think it's a class feature, though. It's yeah. A class feature. If I remember correctly, this was changed on purpose so that you couldn't use absorb elements to gain resistance and then halve the damage. Because resistances don't stack. It's like advantage. It doesn't. Yeah. I, I remember half hearing something. I'm not on the ball this week. I do apologise. You're more on the ball than I am. No, that's not true. Not this week. Um, <laughs> I'm half remembering something. It was deliberately chosen not to do a thing a certain way so that you couldn't stack it with other things. Mm. So it is essentially splitting the damage between the two of you, but it's it's worded this way so that the creature can't resist something and then that damage is halved. The damage becomes halved and both take it. So it's there specifically to stop people using absorb elements. There we go. Taking yeah. resistance for the damage and then halving that. You can only halve the damage once. Yeah. That's the way it works. Pros, though. The pros of this build, for you, what are the pros? You have a steel defender. You have a big old, <laughs> you have a big old robot wandering around the battlefield. I feel like the first half of our campaign... Your other half, Katie, I feel like she was getting in melee mostly because I had Cesare who was supposed to be ranged. Yeah. And I haven't spoken to her, but I haven't asked her. She seems more comfortable with staying at range and having Ratimus be the one who's in melee. I think that's because I gave her a magic bow. But she's been able to make more use of that now that... I'm, I'm not saying she doesn't prefer it. I think... Um... I, I haven't asked her about not it. Neither have I, really. It, it just kind of seemed like... She got the magic bow at about the same time Cesare died. And obviously I was thinking oh, from the, the perspective of, oh, Cesare's died, so now she's gone. She, she's fulfilling the ranged role. I didn't see it as like, she's just got a magic bow and that's extremely cool. Katie likes, because this is the first thing she played, the moon druid thing of, there is a thing that is doing constant damage and there is a thing that is in melee. Yeah. And the battlesmith artificer is basically the inverse 
you are sending something else to go and do melee, yeah. and she is now the one who is doing the spell. But yeah. the actual fighting style of this is one thing and this is the other thing, and that's all I have to think about, mm. I think that still kind of works for Katie. As opposed to the round-to-round decisions, I shoot the thing, mm. and he eats the thing. Done. But, which is very similar to I moonbeam or mm. whatever else and I bear. Actually, there's been a lot of situations where mm. dear old Ratimus has been incredibly useful just in terms of being another body the on the battlefield who can give advantage. And that's something that I think we've kind of approached this subject before in terms of the discussion that goes around about the almost default opinion in most D&D communities is martial classes are underpowered. We've touched on it before and we I think we came to the conclusion that we disagree with it. But I disagree with it slightly, but yeah, yes. The prevailing opinion amongst D&D communities is that martial classes are underpowered. But equally, the prevailing opinion amongst the same communities is that flanking is vastly overpowered and shouldn't be allowed. If you're a martial class and you're the only martial class, you probably are underpowered because you don't have advantage on pretty much everything. Yeah, flanking is an optional rule. Yeah, it is an optional rule. If you've got flanking at the table and you've got two martial classes, pretty much every combat becomes... Where can we stand to get flanking? Thank you. Yeah. And if you have a ranged character like an artificer, like an artificer, artificer, whatever, if you have a ranged character who has an extra body on the field who can not only be giving advantage to your hits by flanking, but can also, as a reaction, give them disadvantage, that's a huge advantage if you have other marshals. You're currently playing a monk. Hmm. And for your monk to be able to go, I spend a key point and have four attacks with advantage? Yeah. <laughs> this was one of the things that I were, that I did think was a dip in Rogue. Not only do you get all of the lovely skills, you get sneak attack whenever you've got advantage to hit. And you're going to have advantage to hit a lot. Uh, there's a couple of times I've nearly mentioned this. The, the World of Warcraft Hunter you have your pet goes and attacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, My favourite was always the boar because it had charge, which then set off a lot of aggro to anything that it hit. Mm -hmm. So you could then sit there doing DPS at range knowing that spider pig is going (laughs) to soak up all of the aggro. With two Ys, so it's cooler. (laughs) What, spider pig? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That'll probably be after the credits, just me going spider pig. (laughs) So, with World If you War- ever play a Battlesmith Artificer, you have to have mechanical Spider pig. pig. Yeah. Yeah. So, you can have... You have your little buddy that runs in and is the one that's in close combat. Sorry. And that then changes what you're doing at range. So, in a way, it's kind of... You, you split your class across two people. But the fact that you can give advantage and disadvantage, I mean... We've been saying about how overpowered Silvery Barbs is because as a reaction, as a mage, you just go, nope, you have disadvantage and you now have advantage Mm -hmm. just as a reaction to a roll. That's huge, being able to change advantage and disadvantage on a battlefield like that and people just openly say, oh yeah, that's so overpowered. If you have flanking rules at your table and you've got an an artificer... With a steel defender. Congratulations, you you have that for free without a spell slot. Yeah. Silvery Barbs is level two. Just to clarify, I don't think artificers get silvery barbs. Yeah, but they don't bloody need it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they did have it, that would be silly. Yeah. Okay. 
For the first two levels, by the way, my character would be relying on a crossbow, mm. which they would infuse to a plus one to take pot shots, and they would do the whole, hey, my steel dragon, go and eat him. Grab his leg. Yeah. Then as soon as I get a battlesmith, mm. I'm taking my light hammer or whatever I chose, putting the plus one on that and getting in melee combat. I've got an AC of 18. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. As soon as I hit level five and get second level spells, in large reduce, I'm riding it into mm-hmm. battle. And if you do that before combat, so you slap it on the ass, it gets huge, you jump on top of it, and then you like, rush into battle with your plus one lance held high above your head. Yeah. Right. This is kind of a common thing for me. I like a big first turn. Your first turn is you rushing in with the lance, you probably having advantage if your mount is larger, is a size larger, bashing in, you do your two attacks, you've got plus one on it, that's a lot of damage you're attacking with intelligence. And then your steel defender does its force-empowered rend and adds an extra d4 on top of that. And it's force damage. Yeah. An extra d4 of force damage? That's incredible. There is something to be noted there that it says when they use a weapon attack, they do an extra d4. I don't see why that shouldn't affect a steel defender. Mm. But you might find rules as written technically quote unquote you're not allowed to add the d4 i see absolutely no reason not to the thing that surprised me is you can use a ranged weapon in close combat because i thought it was just uh, i thought the rule was if you're attacking something that is within five foot of you you're at disadvantage i thought that that's what the rule was but when I read up on it, because I think this is the first ranged weapon character that I've done. Not that I've ever done. I mean, it's the first one that I've done for the, the podcast. podcast. Yeah. Because I read up on the rules on it, I was surprised that it was like the disadvantage comes from having a, cro- a hostile creature within five foot feet. of you. Mm. And if you take the crossbow expert or the gunner feet, they, that's that negates that. Wow. So, that's a broken feat, man. It is. I mean, it. it crossbow of... expert needs a, a, a bit of a nerf, I think. Sorry, the hand crossbow bit needs to mm. go. Because I was listening to part two of our Building a Bard. Yeah. Right. And there's a bit where Editing Simon comes in and talks about how it's the ammunition property. Yes. We had a cross wire. You can take a hand crossbow in one hand mm. and sit there and pump the trigger and do three shots with a hand crossbow because you can you can load. Because you have a free hand. The wording on the crossbow expert feat is if you attack with a one-handed melee weapon... No, one-handed you... weapon. Right. So the crossbow expert thing, the intent of that... Is different to how people yeah, use it. Because I people tend to use it and the way that I wanted to use it is so that you're standing there swashbuckling with someone and then you turn around and pop off a shot at someone else. And it doesn't matter that you're in melee combat with someone there. Because you've got crossbow mm-hmm. expert, you don't get a disadvantage on that yeah. hit. I think he's about to come downstairs. Frodo! Hello, grumpy pants. Hey, hey, Bog. When you use the attack action, attack with a one-handed weapon. A hand mm-hmm. crossbow is a one-handed weapon. See, I didn't see it like that. I looked at it as a different one-handed weapon. No, it is. Yeah, Okay. The intent is absolutely that if you're using a one hand, like, don't don't get me wrong, I'm not disagreeing with you on intent. Mm. Rules as written, you can get a hand crossbow and pump the trigger and you basically become an automatic rifle. Yeah, as long as you have that spare hand, 
you are then ammunition, you're re- ammunition you yeah. can reload. And I think that also makes up for how the damage on a hand crossbow is lower, isn't it, than the others? It's... It is, but you start adding things like it gets you know, a plus one mm-hmm. or magic bolts. Yeah, because the repeating property that you can add to it is plus one to attack and damage, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also you can... Um, you're adding your intelligence modifier to it as well if you put repeating on it because then it's... Yeah, it's three attacks. It's it's not like a rogue with an offhand weapon where they just get the damage wrong and don't get to add their modifiers. Mm. It's three shots for an artificer. And then if you took rogue on top of that, you could start adding sneak attack to one of those hits. Yeah. And it, it starts to build into something quite You are gross. then kind of catching up on the... Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And then if you take sharpshooter on top of that, you take a minus five penalty and you add <laughs> plus ten. And I don't think sharpshooters once per round. Yeah, you'd have to look up sharpshooter. I'm, I'm going to quickly look it up. Yeah, it's not limited to once per turn. Nice. So for taking sharpshooter, which you could also take with your build, right? If we're doing the, the, the crossbow expert thing. Man, let's move aside from that. You add one level of rogue, your mm-hmm. steel defender is automatic advantage every bloody round. Yeah. For crossbow expert, sharpshooter. Sneak attack is that's once per turn. That's once can, per turn. Once per turn. But right. you can sharpshooter that and add plus 10 to the damage roll for all three <laughs> of those attacks. So one of them you're adding, it'll be 1d6 for a one level dip and all the expertise and stuff, which is really, really useful. To me, Artificer Rogue is like my favourite multi-class for Artificer. But you start adding sneak attack to one of those and plus 10 to all three. Hey, the Mm. amount you are likely to hit goes down. But the damage, if you hit with two of them, that's 20 extra damage. Mm. And someone was saying, I think it was uh, Monty of Dungeon Dudes, he was saying melee combatants, weapon combatants, non-magical martial characters, that's how he says it. Martial characters get their damage from extras. A wizard, for example, can shut down a combat by casting Cause Fear or something like that. Like, okay, they've gone away. Job Mm. jobbed. They've ended a combat. If that thing's immune to fear or any of the other conditions that you can cause, such as hypnotic pattern or web or grease or blah, 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 you are now reliant on making sure that your melee martial character, sorry, your martial character, not your melee martial character, your martial character can do more damage. That's what you're relying on. Yeah. I'm going to throw an idea out here, and then you can tell me if it's a bad idea. Because usually, when we talk about attacks and adding damage to them, somebody mentions smites. Can you smite with a ranged weapon? Paladins, I believe it says melee weapon. Yeah. I'm quite happy to look that up. I'm I'm 95% sure that it says with a melee weapon. Yeah, it does say that. Player Handbook, page 85, Divine Smite, when you hit a creature with a melee weapon attack. Nice try, though. I do think, though, our good friend the Warlock, (laughs) one of the invocations is Eldritch Smite, and I believe that you can smite with a bow with Eldritch Smite. I will check that in just a moment. Do you remember we we talked about, uh, last week, we were all cleric, the Crusader's Mantle? Mm -hmm. An extra d4 to every attack. Yeah, it works with uh, ranged (laughs) weapons. Let me just check Eldritch Smite. Eldritch Smite. Once per turn when you hit a creature with your packed weapon. Yeah, and your packed weapon can be a bow. Your packed weapon could be a firearm. No reason not to. Yeah, but we were talking about a hand crossbow yeah. for that idea. Yeah, so, Warlock Rogue. And yeah. we've gone way off the point here, but Roguelock. Man, Warlock is just 
broken. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many silly things that you can add on. It's lovely, it, though. Yeah. It's lovely. And with this, it might even be worth it. You'd have to take two levels for an invocation. And I think Pact of the Blade is necessary, so you'd have to take three levels. There might even be a level stipulation on Eldritch mm. Smite, but still, that's pretty good. One, th- uh, one of the infusions you can do is you can give yourself Walloping Ammo, which I don't know how many it says you get. I think you only get one, but you can get Walloping Ammunition, you can get a Walloping Arrow, or you can get a Walloping Bolt. Mm-hmm. This ammunition packs a wallop. A creature hit by the ammunition must succeed on a DC 10 strength saving throw or be knocked prone. So I'm just imagining if you have one use of that per day, you shoot the mage. They're not going to have high strength. You shoot the mage and knock them prone, and then you go, Artemis. Yeah, steel defender. (laughs) Kick them while they're down. Yeah. I've got an extra idea for that. Go on. You send them over to grapple, which means they can't move, which means they can't use half their movement to get back up. Yeah, when they're on the floor. Yeah. You sit your right on top of them while your your marshals come over and... <laughs> With a big sword. Yeah. Get ready to just <laughs> stab the poor incapacitated mage. That's really good advice. I mean, obviously most mages are then going to have something they can cast to get out of that, probably. But still. I mean, you could use a misty step and then half your movement. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... You've then taken their turn away from them because they have to, rather than being able to cast something at you, they have to use their turn to get away from the steel defender. They could still cast a cantrip, but their usefulness for that turn has ended. Or been vastly diminished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the con of the steel defender is that the damage doesn't scale as well as you might want it to. I didn't really look into how it scales. A lot of it's based off proficiency bonus, Mm -hmm. which makes it great for dipping in. Yeah, I was really tempted to go three levels in, uh, of this and take two levels of Blade Singer to show that the stupid power builds you can do with Booming Blade. But I kind of felt that that wasn't really using the Gith Yankee enough. Yeah, I kind of feel like because the Steel Defender sits in the bonus action slot mentally, mm. it shouldn't really scale in the same way as other things. I was just thinking. I don't disagree. I was just thinking, like, you can get the damage to scale if you cast a spell on your Steel Defender that, you know, adds extra bonuses when it attacks. And large reduce. But you should really be casting that on yourself because you've got two attacks as a battlesmith. So if you're going to be giving bonus damage to anyone, do you give it to the one that you control with your bonus action and only has one attack? Or do you give it to yourself to add on to your ranged weapon? Or if you've chosen to, I know I've just been going on about a ranged focused artificer. You could give yourself plate armor as your infusion. And then if you've given yourself a decent strength score... You can be stood on the other side of the enemy to your steel defender with a greatsword doing huge You'd have to damage. take Heavy Weapon Master to get the weight. Heavily Armoured. Heavy yeah. Weapon Master is you'd different. You'd have to take Heavily Armoured or you'd have to take the Leveling Fighter first. Yeah, which yeah. is worth doing. And nobody listening is limited as we are. We're limited by the random Rules. roles that we've got. But I was this close to doing it, but I couldn't justify it enough. Like, when I did my Palisork build... It was the thing that brought everything together. Mm. For this, it would have just been me doing it for the sake of proving it can be done. I think for things like that, you have to be able to to justify in-universe. And I think you also have to work with your DM. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying about choosing the musket, to me, that's 
that's conceivable that somebody could be like, oh, you create this explosion and then you have a long pipe that it fires a bit of metal down. It's something you know, an artificer could work out. That's the basics of a gun. A musket is that kind of weapon. And I was thinking about it and you could also, like, blunderbuss is another conceivable possibility. Shotgun is on the furthest edges of what you could conceive of an artificer having. If you were being a dick to your DM, you could build for like the antimatter rifle or something something ridiculous like the hunting rifle or the automatic rifle, like the modern mm. guns. But you do also have to be reasonable. And I think that's the point that you were getting around to when you flipped it round and you took Paladin first and then the Sorcerer. I think you knew it was pushing it a bit and you had to be able to justify it. I I also pushed it so that we could talk about it on the podcast. It was deliberate. Yeah, and you did justify how you did it as well. But you do also have to be careful... Unless you are going to a table where everybody is power building and everybody is doing the most ridiculous thing that they can, stretching the definitions of the rules, unless you know you're going to that table doing that, you've got to be careful that you're not taking the mick. Um, Just to let you know, artificers are presumed proficient with firearms, if they're allowed in your setting. Uh, it's just under proficiencies. Secrets of Gunman's Powder have been discovered in various corners of the D&D multiverse. If your dungeon master uses rules on firearms in the DMG and your artificer isn't exposed to the operation of such, weapon, such weapons, your artificer is proficient with them. All right, so it's it's in there. So that then reduces the gunner perk to ignore the loading property and no disadvantage for firing within five foot. But you could just go with the repeating shot This was the problem I had when I was building. I went back and forth so many times about how Mm. I would implement this. And honestly, if guns exist and artificers are presumed to have proficiency in them, I would probably not have taken Gunner. Because the only advantage that it leaves you with then is not having disadvantage if you're within five foot. Which means you just accept that you're a ranged character who can do 1d12 at range. Why (laughs) would you be getting up close? One of the things I was looking at with the spells Mm -hmm. was spider climb. You can just go and stand on the roof and then shoot down at people. And unless somebody else has fly or spider climb or a ranged weapon or yeah, or can spider climb up after you or can jump that high if you're assuming it's not that high a ceiling, you know, or, you know, just run up the wall to a nice little (laughs) sniper position. And then just, you know, pick off whoever your steel defender is stood next to. And that's why you would add a level of rogue, I think. Yeah, because then you're also getting the, you're getting the, the, the sneak attack. Yeah. Yeah. I think this Battlesmith Artificer, it's easier to build to have the Artificer doing range damage and the... I don't think you'd be the only one to say the that. The steel defender being the one who's up close and, do, and doing things like that. What I was saying about with the spider climb... Even if there is no sort of like little nook in the wall, you can just go and stand on the ceiling. Mm. Whereas you've got your gith jump ability or, you know, just run up the wall to a nice little (laughs) sniper position. You can get up there with a jump and just stay there. Unless you've got like a monk or you've got a tabaxi that's got an automatic climb speed. They're the only rare things that will be able to get up to where you are. Uh, Yeah. Let's talk multiclassing. I wanted to point out four levels of Artificer for Steel Defender. And the good stuff kind of uh, is based off your PB. Hmm. Hit points is not, but saving throws are. Skills are, because it's proficient in two skills. Its passive perception is uh, your PB times two. So it's, hmm. it's passive perception is pretty good. And its damage is based off profic- is based off proficiency bonus. And it's repairing. It does have a repair. Yes. So 
If you were a rogue, you send your thing over to the thing that needs to die, and you sneak mm. attack it. So you don't need two attacks. Uh, you can just go, right, I'm hitting it with advantage and using that. So you take four levels of Artificer, one level of Rogue. You're always getting advantage. You can impose disadvantage on anyone who is also there. <laughs> and if your little friend takes damage three times a day, they can repair themselves for mm. 2d8 plus PB. Saying that, I was surprised how much you can heal your Steel Defender with Mending. I need to reread it because the fact that... I think that... it's touch, which is a big limitation yeah, 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 to your yeah. ranged character. But still, Katie can heal her pet for three whenever she damn pleases. Yeah. I know we're sort of talking about like a home game that the audience isn't... We do have a Battlesmith Artificer in it. Yeah. It is relevant to the Battlesmith though because the Battlesmith changes the landscape of a fight so much. You're in a the... party of four now. Yeah, essentially. You are a party of four now, and, and, yeah. and I'm sure someone might disagree with that at home. But this bloody steel defender, my aim every combat now yeah. is to take Artemis out of the fight. Because <laughs> he's such a pain in the ass. Like, if you two have advantage yeah. because you're flanking, that's one thing. But your partner's character, because she's Oath of Vengeance, can get advantage on her own, and then you get advantage, and that's two enemies being buggered about with. I, I could feel end this I by f- ending flanking rules, but... I feel guilty, because obviously she is my wife, <laughs> but she is also a paladin, so she can handle herself on her own. Yeah. So, one thing about the future of the build, mm. sixth level you get your extra infusions. Mm-hmm. You get two extra that you know, and you get one extra active slot. So whereas before you knew four and you could have two going at once, when you hit level six, you know... You know six. You know six and you can have three going at once. Also at level six, you get tool expertise, which means your proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability check you make that uses your proficiency with the tool. Nice. Oh, shit, the bed... With a Gith Yankee, you can choose one a day that you're proficient with. Yeah. <laughs> Holy heck. That's a nice uh, coincidence. So you can just choose once a day. I now have expertise. Well, one thing I was thinking is you've got expertise and we both bought Smith's tools. Yeah. And we've got mending as yeah. a cantrip. So whereas the loot rules... I think it's in the DM's guide. I think so too. The loot rules say that they don't tend to have usable armor or they don't tend to have good weapons. I would imagine I think it might be if you have Smith's tools and mending and you've uh, used one of your infusions to give yourself a bag of holding, I would imagine there's a good argument that you could just loot everything. You could yeah. loot all of the bits of plate, all of the swords and everything, chuck them into the bag of holding. Then when you're doing your downtime activities at the end of the day, you tip them out and you say to the DM, right, how many usable suits of armour can I find here? How many swords can I repair and put together out of all of this junk? And then you take them to the blacksmith, you sell them the intact items, and then you go, right, and then you tip the rest of the bag out and you go, here's a bunch of junk. How much do you want for scrap? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, we both took cartographer's tools. We didn't mention this before. Yes. We both took cartographer's tools as mm. our proficiency because I had the idea of them being in space and making a space map. In my case, I had the idea that, well, they're looking for a sword. They would probably have to have, like, you know, the map equivalent of uh, Charlie from It's Always Sunny's yeah. corkboard with all the bits of string leading to I everything. love a corkboard, man. Yeah. I love a corkboard. 
But doubling your proficiency with cartographer's tools to make a map of an area, mm. you are the best explorer. You're making a detailed map of where you've been, where you've gone, what was there. You know, Druid's like, I need this rare ingredient for this spell. Oh yeah, we saw one of those. Mm. It was in, uh, let me check on my list here. Oh, uh, it was in uh, Tiverton. Yeah. It was in Stanamin. Yeah, I guess that's one of the problems that I think a lot of players have is note-taking mm. and remembering where things happened. And I think sometimes as a DM, you can be generous and go, all right, make a history check or make a such and such check. Okay, you remember that that was this. Or in your case, you're nice and tend to say, oh, yeah, it was this. If it's important enough, you tend to say like, yeah, you might not remember. Your character would remember that this happened. I will never tell you. You've spoken to this person before and they told you this. (laughs) If you're going, hang on, we're trying to get it clear in our heads. We're doing this mission for this person to pick up a map so that we can put all the bits of the map together to find the dragon. I don't mind telling you that. Your bloody characters would know. I do mind. We've never fought a troll before. But if you had, and I'm going... Or I don't think we've met anyone who would be able to fix this for us. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, if that's in character at that point. That isn't a quest. That's you not remembering and your character wouldn't remember that. Very fine line. Yeah, whereas we've had like a week of work and cleaning the house and cooking and worrying about the economy and everything. You know, our characters are literally like when we stop playing, that character just stops and then instantly picks up. So whereas we're like, what the hell did we do last week? Our characters are literally like, that's five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the reasonable thing. But I mean, again, knowing things about geography, there's one of the backgrounds, I think it's Outlander, that's like, yeah. you know about terrain and mm-hmm. you can remember the terrain and you're good at navigating around in the country and things, unless you've got that background. I can see why cartographer would be useful to then be able to say like, okay, we're plotting a map of where we've been. And Cartographer's where we've only as good as the player, I suppose, in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Although, if you're a good DM who actually writes proper documents that tell you what is and isn't there and where, you could just, you know, make me a check. I was about to say, write me a check. Make me yeah. a check and then just hand them the slip of paper for that area and, like, you now have this information. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it was something I sort of forgot about because I did the GIF stuff first. So when I, I was looking I through I was looking through the list of tools and I was like, well, I don't see anything in here that's really useful because you already get Smith's tools from Battlesmith. I think I took jeweler's tools from something else. I I would say if you are trying to fix leather, hide, etc. armor that you've taken from someone, I would say that's leather workers' tools. Not oh yeah, yeah, tools. yeah. I would yeah. I would make that distinction just because I can't have you guys making all that money because mm. I don't I don't have, yet have a plan for how to spend it. No, that's true. Well, I do a rough plan. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was arcane jolt at level nine. Which, when you or your Steel Defender attacks, you can add 2d6 force damage. You can do that intelligence modifier amount of times a day. So you get intelligence modifier smites. Wow, okay. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. Would you play this character? You know, I think I would. I'm not 100% happy with it. Mm. I can't exactly pin down why. There's a lot of things about the build that I've got that are quite satisfying. Is it the gunner thing that you're currently... I think I'm still fiddling back and forth with gunner. My wife has joked when I play computer RPG games, I have chronic restart syndrome, <laughs> which is where I, if, I get, if I get past the tutorial and then I think, oh, that was great, but I don't have any way to pick locks. 
My yeah. my most common class in any game that was based on the third edition rules mm-hmm. or this the even going back to like Baldur's Gate the second edition rules I need to pick locks. It messes me up so much, like having to walk past a lock that I can't pick, to the point where there's been games where there's been one chest that I haven't picked, and I've got a little notebook sat next to <laughs> the thing, saying <laughs> where it is and when my skill is high enough. Fallout, I massively gimp most of the characters that I play because I will just boost hacking and lock picking. Yeah, I cannot stand the idea of there being like a door or a treasure room that I can't get into, especially in games like that, which have unique loot that's sometimes hidden in these things. So it's not just that you're getting a better laser rifle or something, you're getting Bowie's laser rifle yeah. or something like that. You're, you're getting a unique weapon that has a unique perk with it. And I'm terrible with RPGs like that of gimping my characters so that I can pick those locks and get those items. And then I just take them back to like my home base and dump them in a locker. Yeah, make and a never use them. I'm, I'm, I'm bad for that myself. Yeah. You know what killed me in Fallout 4? What? When you start getting followers in your settlements, yeah. they can take things out of containers. If you click on the wrong thing when you're assigning people to do trade routes between different things, if the person that you've assigned has picked up one of your guns out of a container, then you can have like a unique gun that you've got that you've picked up and there's somebody just wandering about the wasteland with it. With, you, with your nice unique with gun. Your, with my nice gun. It is infuriating. I did not like it, so I am glad that yeah. I did not play much more of it. But yeah, that kind of rolls background to Artificer's isn't there something about at higher levels they can attune to more magic items than other people can? Let me just have a look. I'm pretty sure there's somewhere... There's magic items. It's only level 10. You can attune to up to four magic items at once. I don't yeah. know if that... Wow. 11th level, you can just choose something to have a spell in it. Jesus Christ. 14th level, you get five magic items. Mm. 18th level, six attunable yeah. magic items. So higher level artificers definitely feel like they're a class that bolsters themselves through magic items. Mm -hmm. And it's nice that you've got the create magic item infusion as well. So that even if you don't pick up any as quest rewards or there's none that seem relevant to you, you can just make Mm -hmm. something and attune to it. Yeah. Yeah. Would you play yours? Oh, in a heartbeat. The idea of a Githyanki who's very intelligent but completely oblivious. <laughs> oh, hang on. I'm starting to sound like myself. But the idea of, of a person wandering around space with a lance on the back of their enlarged metal dragon that they stab people with and run around. I just, I think it's so cool. <laughs> and when Spelljammer comes out, which I, I might have to sell a kidney to afford, but... <laughs> When Spelljammer comes out, I am buying it, and if there is a background that would better apply, it's going on this chap. Yeah. And uh, the only reason they're a chap, by the way, is because the picture that D&D Beyond picked at creation was a chap, mm-hmm. and in my head, the gifts are a very masculine thing. That's some subconscious bias there. I'll, I'll acknowledge it, but um, you know, there's no malice there. Yeah, I would play this character a hundred times over. There, especially with the kind of Mister Mixit Spitlick name. Sometimes you're endeared to a character by accident, and I really endeared to this character. The fact he's got a stupid name. 
I think Grelm was a bit like that for me, where I kind of, I made him and then I got the thing about him just being this nasty, spiteful little shit. And then <laughs> the more I leaned into that, the more I thought, like, there is actually something relatable <laughs> to this guy <laughs> yeah. who's just been so screwed over that he's just gone, you know what? Yeah, I am a nasty little bastard. Would you take anything from my build? I do like the idea of the dragon. That's really good. Is it the dragon, or is it the enlarged reducing dragon, or is it just kind of the... The flair of it, but I mean, I wish I had thought of an interesting flair for my Steel Defender, because you've gone with dragon, mm. Katie's gone with sort of in memoriam of Artemis our, of our, the Rat. Oh, Artemis our Rat, yeah. Um, Who we do call Ratimus. We yeah. did call Ratimus. Yeah. A... I think I've just chosen a guy. It, it if, you, just, if you were going to keep going just with this character, would you, would you update that? If it hadn't been, a, and maybe this this is sort of speciesist of me, because when I think Gith, all I can help but think of is the silver sword thing. Mm. And I tend to think of them in a, a very different way because of that. If this had been variant human, there is absolutely no question it would have been Phil Mitchell, Artificer, with Grant. With Robo Grant. Robot Grant. With Robot Grant Mitchell. Um, as his... <laughs> but because it's Gith, for some reason, it just it feels like I should go with the Silver Sword I Hunter thing. I tell you what, I will agree there. The Gith feel very isolated. And it's not like... With goblins, for example, you can pick direwolves, and then maybe they'd have a direwolf-type thing you know, hobgoblins, orcs, etc. You can kind of pick creatures around them that you could add. Maybe for drow, you could add quagoths or spiders. Or Whereas Gith feel like, almost on purpose, this completely separate entity mm. that's very lonely. And the whole riding dragons through space is ostensibly as a footnote in the whole Gith-Yankee thing. Yeah. And I looked at Gnome of Toes again. Modern Canis Tome of Foes. I looked at that again because there's a huge section about Gith and their endless bloody war. And I wanted flavour to this character. I've just had a really stupid idea. Go on. You have like a mind flayer steel defender. A mind flayer shaped steel exact defender. Exact but it's a really cartoonish stupid Yeah, yeah like really... Like to, to mock yeah, mind flayers. Yeah, it's a mocking mind flayer. I was yeah. having the same idea. <laughs> I think with elves and dwarves, this is a strength, even though it sounds like a criticism. They're so generic fantasy that saying, oh yeah, my elf artificer has a deer or some sort of beautiful woodland creature because there's enough generic fantasy around it. You know, my my dwarf has a donkey because they're both stubborn. World of Warcraft tends to associate dwarves with rams. So yeah, like I can you see can imagine that as well. they would have like a ram. Yeah, or, you know, like a big goat or yeah. something like that. And I think Gith are so particular and specific that they kind of feel almost unfleshed out. Mm. Like Gith Yankee don't need to eat because they're in the Astral Sea. But when they're not in the Astral Sea, what do they eat? What do they prefer? Mm. If, if they do live in creches, what do they eat at the creches? Is it just local flora and fauna? I kind yeah. of want a little bit more about both Gith, Gith Yankee and Gith Sarai. I want more about what they actually do and okay. the creatures around yeah. them. I almost feel like with this very specific flair that they have because of that, Far Traveller kind of feels like... I, I've used Far Traveller yeah, yeah, before, before, so I think that was why I, I avoided it. I think I've done the same. But it does feel like it, it's that sort of thing, because like Creatures of the Feywild, it's difficult to not have Far Traveller as a Feywild creature because there's not really any way for them to have just grown up normally. A Gith 
who has grown up like they were kidnapped from a creche mm-hmm. or something and then they grow up in a normal prime material playing community never really hearing about the gif that's going to be the exception mm. one thing that's just occurred to me is i haven't really used the gif race much apart from the fact that i've got a gif portrait and a gif name i really don't... i've used it for flavor yeah i've used it for the I mean... back... i've used it for the background flavor i don't really feel like i've used it mechanically They've got resistance to psychic damage. They've got the psionics thing, so they, they've got like the invisible mage hand. I don't really think I've made use of either of those things. The only way that I've really made use of it is by going back to what I saw as the legacy stats through mm. the, like Gith, Subrace, Gith, Yankee. Mm. That's the only way that I've really used that in the build. It could almost be any other race. I can't really think of anything that I've done with it as I can't think of anything I've done, though, other than played into a flavour thing. Yeah, mechanically, you've gone with the dragon and the mounting the dragon to to reflect that. So you've you've built it in... The the incorporation of flavour, maybe, I will grant you. Do you think your perception of Gith, Mm. specifically Gith Yankee in this case has been presented to you as one thing from one game and it's overwritten any i don't want to say creativity because that's not the thing you say to a creative person (laughs) but it's kind of like this is what my brain has to follow and i can't think outside that box anymore because this is the box as i was presented to it i think it's more when i was looking through the backgrounds i was thinking investigator and then because i already had in the back of my head gith looking for a silver sword Mm-hmm. Because I had that, I thought, oh, that works with that because they're investigating the Silver Sword. Yeah, my question is, do, do you think that restricted you from moving beyond that? No, I think it was just, I looked at the GIF and I thought, mechanically, I have no way that I can benefit from anything that GIF gives. I think that's true of mine as it's well. It's like with though, Bodron, where mm. he is a dwarven monk. So you can take patient defense, which gives you the be- yeah, which gives you the benefit of the dodge action. And because I'm a dwarf, when I take patient defense, I can get a hit dice back. So that's like a mechanical interaction that benefits from being a dwarf. Mm-hmm. There's also like the background fluff of dwarves being notorious drunkards and that playing into his sort of mm-hmm. drunken master thing. But I could have put the plus two in intelligence. Yeah. I could have taken an ASI. I could have had like a starting intelligence of 18, which would have been a benefit of being the gith. But I don't feel like I've used gith enough but in this. My point is, how have I used it anymore? Well, the mechanics of using the dragon. It's flavour. Yeah, but that's tying the flavour into the mechanics. You know, if you... Oh, chosen, I see what you're saying. Yeah, if you'd chosen a steel defender like me that was just a guy... Just a bod. Yeah, just a metal guy. If yeah. you'd chosen a steel defender that was just that, then you probably couldn't do the thing where you enlarge them and ride them. And it wouldn't have as much of a thematic thing. As much of I a can thematic see that. tie-in. I can see that. Yeah. Ultimately, what I'm thinking is with my build, you could do everything that I've got in my build probably with like a dwarf or a variant human. human. It would still all make sense. Mm. Yours kind of feels like the tricks that you've put into your build benefit from this background fluff of Mm. gith riding dragons. Yeah. So in the incorporation of flavor into the mechanics. Yeah. But I don't think I've made use of any of the Githyanki features over you. I didn't look at the legacy Gith Yankee features. They're very similar. So that's what I mean. I haven't seen how they've changed or improved from where they originally appeared to now. While I was just doing some research online, I briefly saw something where someone said one of the abilities 
they've tweaked it ever so slightly because people used to do something stupid with the class. With, with the race. Yeah, sorry, people used to do something really, really stupid and overpowered with the race. It's kind of like with the Aracocra, how the new version of it says you get a flying speed when you're wearing, I think it's light or medium armour. Yeah. So you can't have the heavily armoured Aracocra hovering over the battlefield and just annihilate Yeah, I don't think you could before, but there's a specific... I know D&D Shorts did a video. I'm pretty sure he said like races that have been nerfed, but it was about changes to some of these races and I'm pretty sure that there's something Oh, is it the weapon proficiencies? It might be. Yes, it is. They've removed the weapon proficiencies entirely. Why? Oh, that's because you're proficient with light and medium armor from level 1. If you're a Githyanki wizard, you are now tanky yeah. boy. Yeah, you're tanky wizard. I think that was it because I I seem to remember from the video he was lumping Aracocra and Githyanki together as two power races that you used to be able to get and then they've kind of patched it in the new version. So I mean, they've, can't they've literally just taken it out. Yeah. They have replaced it with the flexibility of the proficiency option now. Yeah. And I kind of like the new one. Obviously, I'm building this character in advance at level five. Mm-hmm. If you're playing this character... At the, oh, end, that's of, so at the end of a long rest, being able to change a weapon you're proficient in and a, a skill or tool that you want to just have proficiency in for the next day, that's huge in terms of flexibility. I've got a question. Yeah. They lost their silver sword, yet they're not a martial, they're not a melee character. That was something that briefly crossed my mind, is almost out of spite. You know how some people have that, like, well, I'm not doing it now, sort of thing. Like, he's like, well, if it's not a silver sword, I'm not going to be... Oh, right, okay. If it's not a silver sword, I'm not touching it. (laughs) What are you doing running around with steel, you idiot? Like that, you know... Yeah, no, I understand that. that, I understand that. It's that sort of thing that, like, when you've had, like, uh, a sirloin steak, why would you want to go back to hamburger? It's that sort of thing of, like, I had a silver sword... I'm not touching any of your paltry, stupid, ridiculous I'll tell you exactly why you'd go for hamburger. You can't fuck up a hamburger. It's really easy to fuck up a steak. And hamburgers are really nice. Yeah. yeah. So that's basically... I do understand what I'm I'm almost thinking, like, if they've had this silver sword, it's almost like, I'm not touching a martial weapon until I've got my sword back. And maybe by the time they get their sword back, they'll be like, well, hang on, this is only plus three, and it does D12 damage. I've got a gun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe it's by the time they actually get the silver sword back, or a good DM could present them with a moral choice to getting the silver sword back, and you actually give the character a point where they transcend that and they go, you know, you you could have a character who could flip to good if they have that moral choice of you can get your sword back, but you need to do something horrible. They can either go with their neutral alignment and go out the sword, or they can have a moment of re- re- yeah, revelation. revelation character growth and they can be like you know what i don't need the sword i'm past that now so a greater silver sword yeah this was the thing i couldn't take an actual silver sword that is way overpowered for a fifth level character well you can't at all because it's a legendary weapon yeah it's way beyond our yeah there is you in the same way that i wouldn't take an antimatter rifle even if there'd been a trick to get the silver sword as it exists in the rules no. <laughs> it could be it's not their silver sword. They've just been sent to retrieve, to retrieve it. it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. If I was going to play a Githyanki, mm. Artificer wouldn't be my first... Like, I'm in love with my character, but if I was going to be Githyanki, I want to be a Githyanki Psy Warrior. And even mm. though it's not a, a much-loved subclass, 
I'm psionic. I get more psionic abilities. I take telepathic. I take telekinetic. I wouldn't need to because I already have invisible mage hand. But I know because you get your five foot boop. Yeah, I would take telekinetic. I'd take telepathic. Bump my intelligence as well as my strength. Wand around, full plate, massive greatsword. Eventually get a silver greatsword that I can Mm. cut people out of existence from the Astral Sea. Yeah. I think if I was to do like my idealised version of this build, I like the Battlesmith build that I've come up with. Yeah. And I think it is good. I think my idealised version of it would be probably Armourer. I was thinking the Just exact because same thing. it because flying through space in a spacesuit. Yeah. I think I would get myself stuck on bonus actions too much with the fact that you've got this dedicated other body that is relying on using your bonus action. It's relying on your bonus action to do damage. I believe it can still move on your turn. It can move and if you don't give it an instruction it takes the dodge action. It can set your rogue up for sneak attack, which is probably going to be more damage than it would do. So if you bonus action something else and it allows a a rogue to get sneak attack, Mm. it's done more damage and you've used your bonus action better by misty stepping away, for instance. I think there is an overemphasis, and I I do not help in this matter (laughs) on the podcast, there is sometimes an overemphasis on, and I can do this much damage. And if I use my Steel Defender, I get an extra 1d8 plus proficiency bonus. Yeah. Right? Ignore that. I can give my rogue advantage to get sneak attack in. I can set up so that the Drunken Master Monk can come in and do four attacks for one key point at advantage and Mm. then get the hell out of dodge. All of that is worth far more than 1d8 plus proficiency bonus. And even if it's enlarged, that's worth more than 1d8 plus 1d4 plus proficiency bonus. Yeah. Is it worth it when you get to level 9 not to do the Arcane Jolt? That's a proper debate to be had. Yeah. But at that point, when you're level 9, isn't a sneak attack like 3 or 4d6? And paladins will have third level spells. Yeah. What would you rather? Do your little 2d6 or a paladin chuck in a third level spell slot for Nova damage? Yeah. I know that these are all extra considerations that we haven't brought up before. I, what I'm trying to to do is say, don't think about the damage. Think of it as the body on the board, which is always more important than the amount of damage it could do. Setting up for your paladin to have advantage to deal a smite. Why do I care about 1d8? <laughs> <laughs> that said, let's look at next week. Yes. Ranger, Hobgoblin, Horizon Walker. Know nothing about it. Horizon Walker, I have to declare my bias, is my favourite ranger. Okay. I love it with every fibre of my being. It is not the best ranger. I just think it's really, really, really flavourful. Okay. My character who I spoke about in like the first or second episode, who's a ranger who's slightly xenophobic, is a Horizon Walker ranger. So I don't know how I'm going to turn them into a Hobgoblin. That's going to be interesting. But yeah, Hobgoblin Horizon Walker ranger... Let's look at legacy stats. That's going to be interesting, isn't it? Yes, we will be using legacy stats and current traits. Constitution plus two, intelligence plus one. Interesting. They're going to have a meaty constitution score. Yep. So the new traits are more fey-based. So this is a Horizon Horizon Walker Ranger from the Feywild, or has fey ancestry. Cool. Uh, Frodo's buggered off. And it's upstairs. Yeah. So we can't have a goodbye from Frodo. 
But you can have a goodbye from me. That's goodbye from him. <laughs> I wasn't setting you up for that. Uh, yeah, happy Thank you for listening to this episode of the Built Bard Workshop with myself, Stephen, Simon, and Frodo the Dog. All properties and settings belong to the relevant parties. Produced by Steve and Simon and edited by Simon. Music is Dancing at the Inn by Kevin MacLeod and is available at freepd.com. And remember, respect your elf before you wreck yourself. Slap it on the ass. It gets huge. You jump on top of it. Uh, bottom.